0: As we continue our Bible study going psalm by psalm, we've made it all the way to Psalm 129. I'll start with our summary statement for the psalm. Psalm 129 calls Israel to sing of the Lord's righteousness who judges all the enemies of Zion. I'll go over that one more time. Psalm 129 calls Israel to sing of the Lord's righteousness, who judges all the enemies of Zion. Simple outline for the psalm will be in two parts, verses 1 to 4, Persistent Enemies. Verses 5 to 8, Curse On the wicked. Go over that one more time. Verses 1 to 4, persistent enemies. Verses 5 to 8, curse on the wicked. All right, we'll go to our observations now. So, Psalm 129 is an anonymous psalm. You can see the superscription there, a song of degrees, and uh, there's no author attribution. <clears throat> there's uh, no musical direction um, beyond the mention of song in the beginning. Uh, you do have a call and response, may Israel now say, um, which, is, which is generally um, sort of a call and response um, musical direction. There's no occasion that is given for the writing of the psalm, and the psalm envisions the future judgment of the enemies of Zion. Um, And you can see the psalm has sort of a future tense to it. And then you look at verse 4, and you see that that God has cut, or Yahweh has cut, the um, ropes or cords of the wicked, uh, which, again, is something future to happen So it envisions this future judgment of the enemies of Zion. To categorize this psalm, it is still in the group of the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, That begins with Psalm 120, goes through Psalm 134. So that makes this the 10th now of the 15 Psalms of Ascent in this group in Book 5 of the collection of the psalms. Now the minor elements of the psalm, um, obviously would be Zion, so we have this mention of Zion, and particularly the focus here is going to be of the enemies of Zion, those who hate Zion, and then we also have the mention of Israel and Zion in this same psalm, and we've seen that before, particularly in the um, Psalms of Ascent. Um, beyond that, the it has minor ele- elements of imprecations, or a, an imprecatory psalm, and that refers to um, prayers for judgment on the enemy. Now, some of these, some of the imprecations in the Psalms can be stated uh, very harshly, very severely. Um, the imprecation here sort of appears somewhat milder, but it is, but it is still, um, it is still a petition for for the condemnation um, of the enemies of Zion. So Psalm 129 does share connections with with the group of the Psalms of Ascent, and we've talked about how this group functions, how there's sort of a storyline that sort of goes through the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, There's sort of movement as you're uh, moving toward Jerusalem, ultimately to the restoration of Jerusalem and the the gathering, the future gathering um, of Israel. So we do see these continued themes going through these psalms, exile, restoration, and harvest imagery. So particularly, um, we see how how this psalm picks up on Zion and picks up on the harvest imagery, except the harvest imagery is a little bit flipped around here because the harvest imagery, which generally applies to the gathering of Israelites as a harvest in the future, Actually, the harvest imagery here is applied to the judgment on the enemies. And we'll see that as we, we go through the, the psalm. And then we see particular connections with other psalms of ascent. So like Psalm 120, um, verse number 6 there, the psalmist talked about how that uh, the enemies hated peace. And here we have that same term, but they hate Zion. Um, in in Psalm 124 in verse six, we have this same phrase and sort of beginning structure. Uh, may Israel now say, um, and then in Psalm 125 in verse number three, we have reference to the rod or the scepter of the wicked, meaning that the wicked bearing rule over the righteous. And we don't have use of scepter or rod, but we we do have um, the cords being cut, and we'll talk about that as we get to that so it's it's this a very similar style of reference here is in psalm 125 beyond that in the psalms in particular this psalm connects with both psalms one and two so in psalm one you remember uh, you have the blessed man that uh you know walks doesn't walk according to the counsel of the ungodly and so on and then you have some of that harvest imagery. Um, you have the, the the blessed man is featured as a tree that's planted by the rivers of water, bringing forth abundant fruit. Um, the wicked are not so, we're told in that psalm, but they are like the chaff that the wind drives away. So when the harvest, when the reapers and the harvest come, they are, they're not fruit, they're not gathered in, um, but rather they are blown away and, and burned. Um, so we have that picked up here. Then also in Psalm 2, we have reference to the nations and to the kings that oppose God and oppose his Messiah. Um, and um, here we have reference to the haters of Zion and the cutting of the cords. And so back in Psalm 2, if you recall, one of the, the same term is used there. They want to cut the cords of Yahweh and his Messiah. In other words, they they want to um, end his reign over them. They don't want him to have power over them. They oppose him. Uh, and so God responds there by installing his king uh, God sits in the heavens, we're told, and he laughs and exercises his universal reign. And then he responds to those who want to who cut his, his cords off of them. He responds by installing his anointed son, King, on the hill of Zion. And so we, there's obvious connections here between Psalm 1 and 2 and this psalm as well. Um, the poetic features of of this psalm, uh, one of those would obviously be the call and response feature that you have, uh, verse one, and that may Israel now say. Uh, it starts out in a um, sort of in a as almost like a personal or an individual psalm, but you realize with that structure and and what is spoken of and spoken of Zion and such that it's that it is more communal. Um, you also get some of that staircase parallelism that we've talked about where you have sort of those, Lines that that sort of there's some repetition, but yet they're building up, and we get that again here. Uh, and we've seen that in a few of these psalms of ascent. You get a use of imagery, a poetic imagery, and so the heart there's harvest imagery and and agriculture, farming related imagery that's used in the psalm, and it's actually used in a in a dual way. So you have harvest imagery that's used on the one hand to depict the uh, ongoing affliction and the ongoing persecution of Israel by their enemies and then it gets flipped and you have this imagery that is used pertaining to the wicked um, and how their harvest will be fruitless. Uh, So it's sort of like a a imagery in persecution and then flipped to be imagery in retribution. Um, You also get the um, the passage of time that, that is depicted here as the life of a son. So you get these, these double, um, or these repeated sayings, many a time have they afflicted me from my youth. And so that gives us, that gives us the, um, the feeling of of this passage of time, like this has been some long ongoing, from the time that this son was, you know, very young, until he has, you know, grown and matured, maybe even become an old man. Um, But actually this speaks of Israel as you go on through the psalm. All right, so we want to work our way through the psalm. We have eight verses here. I'll go ahead and read these. Many a time have they afflicted me from my youth, may Israel now say. Many a time have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back, they made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous, he hath cut asunder the cords of the wicked, Let them all be confounded and turn back that hate Zion. Let them be as the grass upon the housetops which withereth afore it groweth up, wherewith the mower filleth not his hand, nor he that bindeth sheaves his bosom. Neither do they which go by say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. All right, so verses 1 and 2 give us the opening statement of the psalm. We have this this repetition in, in these two lines that open this. And we have this repeated line of being afflicted from my youth uh, many times. So there's there's the expression of ongoing afflictions that are perpetrated by the wicked against Israel. Now Israel, of course, here, reference to the nation from Jacob, the nation that was promised to Abraham. And, and it's the image of the son that represents Israel. So it's actually Israel from Israel's youth or infancy that has been afflicted as a nation by the enemies, the haters of of Zion as we see as we go on in this psalm. And on the second line, uh, we have, of course, we have the call and response in in, in verse 1, and may Israel now say, and then in verse 2, we have this, the parallel where it it escalates, it goes upward. Um, The repetition is answered now with this confident statement. They have not Prevailed or overcome. So the psalm starts out by giving us the sense that there has been a persistent persecution that has that has just gone on over a protracted length of time. But for all that, they've not prevailed. In other words, they've they've not been able to cut off Israel. They've they've not been able to destroy them, to wipe them off um, from the face of the earth, cut them off from the land of the living. Um, which is language we have see u- used in, in different places. The enemy has afflicted Israel continually, but has not um, a- achieved success in doing away with them. Then we get to the um, the next verse 3 where we get the picture of the affliction, the plowers plowing up on the back and making long the furrows. So plowing here, is a part of that planting and harvest harvest imagery that is used in this psalm, and it's actually it's actually completed. So really, you have plowers that are plowing. So that would be um, early stage. That's, that's beginning process, and then later you have reference to harvest, which that's end end stage, late stage, um, end of the process. And so this this psalm does progress that way um, as you go through it. So the plowing or the the planting. Uh, the plowing upon my upon the back of Israel depicts uh, just a torturous persecution um at the hands of enemy nations, making long furrows. In other in other words, um this dragging out and, and intensity of persecution against this nation by the enemies that hate Zion. And then verse four functions we've seen sometimes we've talked about like a hinge verse or even sometimes a hymn hinge psalm in a in a um in a collection of psalms or a subgroup, and here we've got like a hinge verse that's that sort of pivots it sort of turns and so it's just a it's just a declaration Lord is righteous yahweh is righteous um now you notice that he this statement is then it follows the statement of the affliction and the persecution that Israel has received from enemies, and then it's, it's followed by the statement that he has cut the cords of the wicked. So here's an example, and we've, we've, uh, we talked about this in, uh, in our study in Matthews. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount, we've been talking about righteousness and how that the Bible talks about the righteousness of God. So here is a great example of that. So this righteousness of God is expressed not in terms of some you know, fixed standard that's outside of God himself that he's measuring up to, but rather it's spoken of in terms of his actions, his actions both toward Israel and toward his enemies. So he is righteous. In, in other words, he, in, he, in the way that he is acting, he is just toward Israel and he is just toward his enemies so he delivers the first and he judges the second the lord is righteous now this reference to him cutting asunder the cords of of the wicked um the cords and that's again that's the same word that's used in psalm 2 and verse number 3 and there it's it's the kings and the nations of the earth that rage against god and against his messiah they they want to to cut the cords of the Lord, they want to be free from God's reign. They want to be free from his reign through his Messiah on Zion. Now here, though, it's the cords of their rule that are cut. In other words, their domination over their oppression of Israel, these cords are what is cut, and therefore Israel is freed. Israel is freed from the domination by their enemies. And again, we had that reference in Psalm 125 and verse 3, for the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, let the righteous put forth their hands unto iniquity. Um, The rod or the scepter, as it's translated in sometimes, in other words, the wicked will not rule over the righteous. That's, That's ended. And so here we have another reference to that, that again, Goes um, echoes back f- um, all the way from Psalm two, and the cords of the wicked they are cut. You know they wanted to cut those cords and be free themselves, but rather the Lord cuts their cords, and Israel is freed. And that's what happens, or what is looked, what is envisioned in this Psalm. And then we get to verse five, and then we get an s- expression of judgment on the enemies. So. They are confounded and turned back that hate Zion. Now, to be confounded um, means to be put to shame. And essentially what that means is, is that whatever, whomever or whatever it was that was being trusted in fails in the end. So to, to be ashamed, like many times it's, it's spoken of how Israel will not be ashamed. In other words, if those, of those who have trusted in God, They will not be ashamed because he will not fail in the end. He will deliver and save as he has promised to do. But in the case of the wicked, what and whomever they have trusted in will fail them, whether it's their own righteousness, whether it's their own might and power, whether it's their alliances with with other nations, whether it's it's even their reliance on Satan and and other evil spirit beings um, to help them. What they have trusted in fails they'll be confounded so that's what that means when they come when they come to it in the end when they come to the judgment and 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 what have you what they've trusted in will not um avail them and then that they've been turned back and so that phrase means that they've been driven back or they've been beaten back it's it's sort of like um um like a like imagery from a battle um, and you, 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 know, you might see an enemy that's advancing and advancing and advancing, and then there's, there's a, a rally on, on the part of, of the defending army, and, and they drive back and, and beat them into a retreat or something. In a sense, they'll be turned back. So in other words, their advance is cut off. Their advance is stopped. Their, their advance is ended. And then you notice that it's all of those who hate and oppose Zion, which means that they hate his king. They hate Yahweh's king, and they hate the place of his throne to reign over them. Again, these raging nations from Psalm 2. Now, as you get to verses 6 and 7 in this Psalm, now we get this harvest imagery, and again, and it's sort of flipped around so that we get this progression started with the plowing so that was the wicked that was doing the plowing and they were plowing on the backs of the nation of Israel but by the end now this harvest imagery is turned around and for all the plowing that the enemy has done throughout the many long centuries they will reap no harvest in other words they they will not accomplish their goal um, they they will be like what is referred to here as the withering grass, grass that grows up yet has no depth of of root to it, so it quickly passes away. And of course, this quickly withering grass reminds us of the chaff being blown away in the judgment in Psalm one and verse number four. Ultimately, what this means is is their glory will be short lived. Yes, they ha- they have triumphed over Israel in various ways um over time during this uh, you remember from the book of daniel this is the age of the nations um that we are living in that began with the fall of jerusalem and the carrying away by nebuchadnezzar and, and the babylonians we are in this age of the nations when that when the nations are are treading down treading over um israel and that will continue until the uh till the day of the lord and and his return but but for all of all of that their glory will be short-lived it won't be permanent it won't be long-lasting so this imagery shows us that the harvest like there in verse 7 it's it's fruitless the 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 mower doesn't fill his hand the binder doesn't have any any sheaves so in other words all their hopes are ultimately to be disappointed and all of their efforts to come to nothing because Christ will come. He will establish his kingdom um, and all of his enemies will be put down. So verse number eight then gives us the conclusion of the psalm. And ultimately, what this is, is pointing to in verse number eight is the fact that the wicked will not be blessed. They will not be blessed. Yahweh's blessings will not come to the wicked, to those who hated, hate Zion, those who oppose him and his Messiah. The righteous will not in turn bless the wicked. And the name of the Lord is no surety of blessing to the wicked, but rather cursing. So we've, we've taken notice um, as we've been going through the Psalms, these references to the to the name of the Lord. And when we see that, well, it's not It's not that his name is is some magical formula. His name is his surety. So the writer of Hebrews said that when God could swear to Abraham by none greater, he swore by himself. So in other words, that is the surety of his covenant promises. His name is what is on the line. Well, the name of the Lord is no surety of blessing to the wicked. It is a surety of blessing to those who trust in him, those who are in covenant relationship with him through faith but it is no surety of blessing to the wicked and in fact it's actually the opposite because he also swore to Abraham that he would curse those that curse him and the nation that he made from them all right so that brings us now to interpretation what is Psalm 129 teaching well Psalm 129 obviously teaches the righteousness of God to fulfill his covenant promises to Abraham. So if if you think back, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families or nations of the earth be blessed. So God promised to Abraham that he would bless him, and he would make a great nation of him. Now, in other promises, God spoke of many nations, actually, that, that come from Abraham. But only one. Was the promised nation. And as you trace it out through Genesis, you see that going, passing to Isaac and then passing to Jacob. And that nation that came from Jacob, that nation of Israel, is is this nation that he's talking about and through whom he is going to bless all the nations of the earth. But again, he will bless those that bless and curse him that curses. And that is what we see referenced here in Psalm 129 the wicked haters of Zion will not be blessed. And you would say, well, why the haters of Zion? Well, again, as you, as you continue on, what, what do we find about, about these promises to Abraham? We find this land that was promised to Abraham that he walks through the, the, the whole extent of this land. He sees this extent, it is described. And within this land, there is a place that God has chosen to set his name. It was the capital of the Jebusites that David conquered sometimes referred to as the city of David or Jerusalem or Zion. So it is the place through which God is going or from which God is going to bless all the nations of the earth. But not only that, he's going to curse those that curse God. Abraham and his nation ultimately opposing God, so they're cursed because they are they curse the nation that God made of Abraham. Now, on the other hand, God promised this nation to Abraham, so they will they have and will continue until all promises are fulfilled and we see this referenced earlier. Israel can say that from my youth all through my days, I have been afflicted, but yet the enemies have not prevailed against me. Why? Well, because of God's promise, because he's righteous, because he made promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and he will keep those promises. He is righteous. Well, the messianic hope in particular is seen through this connection with Zion, that, that this is the, the place from which God will install his anointed son king. He will rule over the nations. He's, he's going to defeat, he's going to rule with a, with a rod of iron. He's going to defeat um, those that curse. He's going to bless those that bless. So it's through Zion that God will fulfill his covenant with Abraham to bless all the nations of the earth and to curse those that curse him. So here's Psalm 2, verses 1 to 9. Why do the heathen rage, nations is the the word there, and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, His, his Mashiach, his Messiah, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. There. We don't want them ruling over us. Yahweh from heaven and his anointed king from Zion. We don't want them ruling over us. Let's, let's break their bands and cast away their cords. Well, he that sitteth in the heavens, it tells us in Psalm 2, shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet, and this is what he says, yet have I set my king. Upon my holy hill of Zion, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten of thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen, the nations, the goyim, for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And this is precisely what Psalm 129 is envisioning all right uh, let's go to our application now so we have two primary applications of how this psalm speaks to us as as modern readers of this psalm and number one understanding psalm 129 helps us to understand that the wicked will not prosper Opposing God is not the path to success. It is the path to judgment and condemnation. And I'm sure we all, we may be presently, uh, we may have been in the past, we probably will be in the future, we'll be frustrated, we'll be disappointed, we'll, we'll m- maybe even be somewhat depressed at what seems to be the success of the wicked, of those that oppose and hate God, but understand whatever glory that they achieve, it's it's only short-lived. It is not going to last forever. It may outlast you you and I in our lifetimes. It may, um, but it's it's not going to last forever. And the wicked are ultimately not going to prosper. Number two, understanding Psalm one hundred twenty-nine helps us understand that we are of the Gentile nations who will be blessed out of Zion because of God's covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that certainly is our future hope. That certainly is, is something to, that we look forward to. And, and think about um, even go back to, again to the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus teaching, teaching us to pray, Thy kingdom come. I will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So this really is what we are looking forward to. And there, uh, if you think about Romans 9 to 11 and Paul talking about how that Israel has been set aside temporarily in this age, they've been set aside temporarily. And, and Gentiles are being gathered in, and, and we of the Gentile nations, we have experienced tremendous blessings, and God is extending the, the gospel and salvation, and it is, it's provoking, to provoke Israel to jealousy. And, and Paul gives us that reasoning in Romans 11. He says, if, if their setting aside has meant such richness to us, then what will their gathering be? What will their when, when when God turns when they repent and God turns to shed His grace on them and His kingdom comes to this earth again? It's it's beyond all that we can uh, imagine or.